Estás escuchando Radio Primavera Sound. Estás escuchando Radio Primavera Sound. Proudly presented by Cooper. RPS. Welcome to the first weekly review of 2022, featuring Ben Cardew, Marvai Verdu, and myself, Johan Wald, you, sat around an oval table with microphones ready to pick up our ponderings on pop culture. It's our first week back from the Christmas holiday, so we're eager to share what we've been listening to, reading and watching while staying at home, away from the pesky variants. I, for one, get very jiggy when there's a chance to hear someone other than me talk about Kanye West's not-so-personal life, but never as jiggy when it comes to talking seriously about anything related to the Star Wars universe. And since we'll be talking about the book of Boba Fett, we could also talk about the miniseries that we're not going to talk about, actually. No, <laughs> I'd written down in my notes that we were going to talk about impeachment, but... It's a teaser for yeah, next keep week. Them, keep them happy. Yes, yes, yes. Impeachment. We shall impeach. My existential Christmas dilemma was drawn from learning a new buzzword. Himbo. The cut's definition of this male trend resembled a lot of my own behavior. Cue anxious self-doubt. And our album of the week belongs to someone who prefers milking the 80s rather than the 90s. The weekend's Dawn FM shall get the first review of the year on this, our humble international radio show, engineered by Rob Roman and his sexy mustache. Let's in Gratma, shall we? <laughs> The 80s synths, not only are they back, they're punching hard. Do you know what I was thinking the other day, though? This song is called Happy New Year. And right, there's far too many Christmas songs, and there's not enough songs called Happy New Year. That's fact, true. It's, it's totally untapped territory. We should do one. In fact, basically, <laughs> in terms of songs called Happy New Year, there's like this, um, which is new, and ABBA have a song called Happy New Year, and that's about it. <laughs> but that's ludicrous because er, you, you know how much money people make from Christmas songs? Yep. Why don't, how come there's not a New Year's Eve? like it's an untapped market. We're going to do it. Damn it, yes. I'm, I want to get in on that action. Rob's a great producer. He, he's got all these banks of rhythms and stuff. We can make a, the typical song you want to play the, as soon as the dong, dong, the 12th dong strikes. Well, this song um, you'll hear is basically got the sounds of like, you know, people shouting and, and um, fireworks in the background when it gets on. It's perfect, which is just the sound of New Year because it's fireworks on people. Oh, like, yeah. It's you, really, really good. And we're, we're nicking that idea, obviously. It's almost like, you know, the person, whoever wrote Happy Birthday or the melody and that became the song, you know, there's there's a few other kind of songs that you sing like, um, uh, for he's a jolly good person, fellow, or, or that, which is very sexist. It's, there's not a f <laughs> You can't sing that for a woman, can it's you? It's non-binary. Oh, yes, you can. For she's a jolly good fellow. Yeah, sorry, you can. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Although fellow means man, doesn't it? So yeah. it's like saying, you're a good man, <laughs> Ma. Yeah, but now you've done something good. You're <laughs> basically. That's not what we really think. So yeah, we have to we have to tap the the New Year's Eve songs canon. Make a few an album about a concept album. And speaking of which, we shall be talking concept album Dawn FM much later on in the show. But we shall start talking about the newest uh, addition to the Star Wars canon released by Disney not so long ago, the book of Boba Fett. Thoughts? I think we should start asking Ma all about it because she's, you know. Look, that, that message on the Slack, on our internal message board, that sums up the essence of this show. Ben said, oh, can we talk about Book of Boba Fett? I got very excited and Mars' reply was, what is Book of Boba Fett? <laughs> I, I have no idea. Where do you live? <laughs> That's what I'm asking myself because I, I'm, I don't know anything about Star Wars, but whenever something related to that comes out, everyone's talking about it. So I, I somehow know that something is going on, but this is the first 
and only time I've heard about this. And I've, I haven't heard anyone else. Now that I know it exists, it, you are still the only person that's talking about this. No, we are not. My good Lord. There's a lot of people. A very underground Reddit thread going on or something, but not on anywhere in my internet. No, anyone's talking about it. Do you know how many podcasts I've listened to about the Book of Boba Fett? Oh, my God. Two episodes. Uh, sorry, two podcasts for every episode. And there's been two episodes. Well, the Only about this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I still don't know what it is. Is it a movie? Jesus. It's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a TV series released on popular web platform Disney+. Plus. It's, I, I remember a very close friend of mine years ago, years ago, we were still in high school. She said she'd never seen the Star Wars trilogy and she didn't care for it. And I was, ah, I was so offended. It's like, you've missed out. You've missed out on all this joy and pleasure. How can you, what did, how, did you, how could your parents, and I spoke to her mother. It's like, how could you not play her Star Wars? It's like, well, we have, you know, we read uh, Charlotte Bronte in this. Oh, book. for God's sake. Oh, she, for God's was, sake. She didn't think she's that, your but, high school friend, but come on. <laughs> that's the impression of my memory. She didn't actually, she wasn't that stuck up or snobby. You know, she, she didn't say it that way, but it is true that, that house was very well read, I must say. Um, they didn't. They had time for other things, but um, yeah. So I don't think Mars seen Star Wars, and obviously she was looking very guilty just then. I know, not I, guilty. I think it's a, it's like a, my, my thing. I haven't seen Star Wars, and I will never see Star Wars. What about Harry Potter? I have seen Harry Potter very later on, but it's. I think it's different. Because that's more your generation. Yeah. Like, that's your yeah. Star Wars for a lot of, you know, yeah, I was watching that, that HBO special where they get the characters yeah, together. That's become a thing now where you get characters from series like Friends did it. Reunions. Yeah. yeah, remakes. And, and, um, and I missed out on Harry Potter because, you know, I was in my 20s and I was too old. It was too, it was too infantile for me then. Mm. Whereas Star I Wars. thought it was like my quirky thing. Like I haven't seen Star Wars and apparently just a generational thing. <laughs> like I haven't seen Star Wars, but I have seen my generation saga, which is Harry Potter. So yeah, I'm not that special. Apparently <laughs> I'm just young. <laughs> it, it is good though. I could see like, you know, it, it would work. I mean, you, it's not, there are lots of people who haven't seen Star Wars, but you know, there's a, there's a kind of point, you know, it's certainly got me and, me and Johan riled. If we were, let's say, in a popular nightclub having a drink um, and you said you hadn't seen Star Wars, I reckon that would keep our conversation going for a good hour, maybe? Yeah, but Depending on how angry we were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. We, uh, men of our generation, or, sorry, not men, people of our generation can talk for hours on end about so much Star Wars because they keep adding to the canon and there's so much to peel away. And there's a thing that happens where as we grow, our experience of re-watching any kind of Star Wars past film or whatever, it, it keeps getting better because you see different layers or you adapt it to the way you see life now as, as a parent. Um, more on that. But focusing on the book of Boba Fett, I, I do sense that the hype wasn't as strong as when they released The Mandalorian, which was brilliant. And it's kind of a similar character because they're these rogue kind of, um, what do you call them, bounty hunters, right? In the Star Wars galaxy, these characters. And Boba Fett was always this epic character, which didn't really say that much. He never spoke that much, but he was, when when the first trilogy, by the way, I've been I've been trying to figure out how do we refer to the trilogies? Because if I say the first trilogy... And this is gonna this is gonna confuse Mara completely. You see, when George Lucas released the first trilogy in 1977, I know this. He they began with the later movies and they went the way back to the beginning. Star Wars facts. Star Wars facts. You do know. You do know. I know facts. I don't know why I know this. I'm just a well, box of surprises. For some brilliant or genius reason, he decided to begin with episode four, then follow with five and six, right? From 1977 to 1985 or whatever. Then in the late 90s, he went back and did the prequels. Episodes one, two, three, that explains how they got to the... Well, anyway, uh, very smart. I don't know. I, I guess there are thousands of podcasts talking about why George Lucas decided to do that order. Anyway, uh, so Boba Fett was this character that appears in appeared for the first time in The Empire Strikes Back to capture the character of Han Solo and take him to Jabba the Hutt, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so and, and he became this awesome character because he was really cool. The shield, he could fly, he could shoot. The toy was really cool. The toy was really cool. That was cool. the thing, you know. 
And it's amazing because it's like he didn't even have that much dialogue and and then the return of the I don't know, but he he was one of the standout characters forever. He was children loved him, adults loved him, and now he gets his own show. And uh, I have one little critique. Some parts of it reminded me of fantasy TV shows like Xena the Princess Warrior or Hercules where you know you're trying to do epic uh, fantasy lands and in this in this occasion they have incredible CGI and technology that makes it look as incredible as the original movies no problem with that the spaceships everything looks and you see old characters old monsters and stuff but some of the fighting and stuff i don't know it's like it, well, it's a bit like a Western, isn't it? You know, like Star Wars yeah. was meant to be a space Western. It kind of goes back to that. And one of the things I like about it, actually, is it's quite simple. I mean, yeah. on one level, you've got all the backstory and you've got you, like, loads of people like, oh, my God, that character's appeared. And, and like on these podcasts I've been listening to, you know, people people go on for ages about, yeah, no, but like maybe what's going to happen is the shadow for black, you know, all these theories. So it's kind of complicated, but at the same time, it's quite simple. Like each each episode has basically one story, you know, like... Like, the, like the, Mandalorian. Oh, yeah, every, exactly, every episode exactly. is a quest. And it's reasonably simple. It's like there's something that Bob Fett has got to do and inevitably he does it. You know, it's like task... It's a classic song uh, uh, story writing structure, isn't it? You know, like something you have to overcome, overcome, learn something. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, like classic, classic. And um, it's not something... Yeah, it, yeah they're not getting all that many series. Like a lot more series, a lot more more complicated and they don't resolve. It's quite rare actually these days that you have a series that one episode resolves one story, if you see what I mean. Or I find anyway. You know, yeah. it tends to be more like the whole the whole range of 10 programs or whatever tells this like really big story. And that's brilliant as well. But at the same time, you can just sit down and watch one of the book of Buffett and you're like, all oh, right, okay, he did this and that happened. Mm-hmm. I love the, the, you know, in episode two, uh, is this a spoiler? Well, we get to see more of a species that was no the, just say it just say it. okay we see the huts we see the cousins the 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 the, the twin the twins cousins of jabba the hut and jabba the hut is a very iconic character from return of the jedi uh he was this kind of giant sloth and he spoke in his own language and all of a sudden we see two of his relatives so it's like cool that we get to keep seeing characters that we were very fond of in our youth you were saying, Ben, that yeah, the, the guards, the Jabba's guards. Yeah, yeah, Gamorian guards. The yeah. Gamorian guards, you know, all of a sudden they reappear and they're super badass. And See, Johan, I wonder if this is what being middle-aged is like, that basically people of, of our age start to dominate the cultural landscape and we just basically get what we want. Yes. You know, you know, like when, like when, when our parents were... were when we were young and our parents yeah. were our age and they were always like going on about oh, the 60s Beatles, that kind of thing, which yeah. are things I really, really like. People are like, oh, come on. But like now we're of that age. So our whims are being catered to. And I love it, quite frankly. It's like, yeah. yes, I do want to see a series about an obscure character from um, a, uh, a film I watched when I was like seven or whatever. Yes, please. All right, I'll have that. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, but can you make it please very lavish? It's great. It's absolutely brilliant. It's like, yes, people... Finally, finally, people are paying attention to middle-aged white men. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> we're getting it took time, Mike. But <laughs> you know what? After this whole pandemic thing and everything, it's been such a great time for us in the middle age and and who have kids because it's like you can't leave your house. All right, I'm going to leave anyway. I got to look look after kids. Uh, we're going to give you all these Star Wars episodes and Succession and all these shows that that people kind of in middle age enjoy a little bit more. I think so. It's like this is a perfect time in in the history of humanity for being a middle-aged person with kids and especially the whole star wars thing it's so gratifying because children love it and it's a it's a it's it's there's so many hours of it and it's like if you if you're forced to stay in home at lockdown or whatever or whenever there's a moment to have the the family entertainment moment um having a relationship with your kid with star wars is one of the best things ever i didn't have that with my parents i mean my parents enjoyed star wars a little bit but you know and the, the the original trilogy was less infantile, and I'm gonna talk about this regarding Jar Jar Binks. Um, oh God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I rewatched. Uh, well, hang on, hang on. I don't want to talk about that yet. Hang on. Uh, Boba Fett, Boba Fett, the book of Boba Fett. There's one thing that at first I was a little bit apprehensive. What is the Tusken Raiders? The Tusken Raiders in the Star Wars lore were always very men- considered very menacing, threatening, and terrifying, right? In the first two trilogies. Remember, it was their torture of 
a Star Wars character that triggered Anakin Skywalker's descent into the dark side, right? So they were like really feared. All of a sudden in this book of Boba Fett, they are shown in a fairer light, living as a nomadic tribe with women and children. Uh, so the menace is diluted. And I couldn't help but be reminded of uh, Northern African Tuareg nomads, uh, it, you know, because it's the desert and because we know that a lot of Star Wars were shot in in the north of Africa. Uh, well, you know, even the shape of their rifles are a bit like the Arabian rifles in Lawrence of Arabia. So we could interpret this as a woke move, showing Star Wars fans that not all evil looks the same or what we once thought was evil may have been because of someone pushing that agenda. Well, a lot of people have compared them to uh, Native Americans as well, you know, oh, whose land yeah. has come and been dominated by these people. And um, again, the the whole issue of the train, which was passing uh, yes. in, in Series 2, it, they're like, okay, you've got to pay because this is their land, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, you've got to pay peaje, uh, what do you call that? Um, pay uh, tax, a toll. You have, exactly. you have to pay a toll. Yes. And, see, and, and that whole thing about the train, that... In episode two, we hear Boba Fett talk of spice when negotiating with these merchants who travel through the desert on this train, right? Reminding audiences once again how the Star Wars love lore sucked a lot of juice from the Frank Herbert Dune novel teat. <laughs> I was going to say, as well, I've seen some people complaining about like, uh, they don't want to know more about the Tusken Raiders. Like they like them as just like these characters in the background or they like Boba Fett as just this person who just says nothing. I entirely disagree. I love finding out more about them. Yeah, it's incredible. I think it's like, again, it's totally indulging to my whims. It's like there was a long time, you know, I, I was, I've, I've wondered a long time who like Tusken Raiders are. And then as if by magic, when I hit the, you know, my middle agedness, people come and tell me about it, you know, in, in glorious detail. And yeah. I love, and like, Next time I go back and watch the original films, you'll be like, oh, right, yeah, okay, those Tuscans, well, they are bad, but, you know, they've had bad stuff done to them. And I'll get to see the original film in a different way. Beautiful, Mark, beautiful. Uh, and they're, 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 as again, you know, again, the Dune comparison, they are, they have the same characteristics as what you call the desert people in Dune. Uh, <laughs> Arrakis. Sorry. Hang on, you had the, the, Zendaya. Ah. That's their name. Juan Javier Bardem. Timothy Timothy, yeah, but he joins the, the well, th these are people who know how to live in the desert. They know how to survive on, on low water. Uh, you know, they're, 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 well, it's, it's, it's so parallel. It's, um, but yeah, George Lucas has never um, denied that he drew a lot of inspiration from Frank Herbert's Dune. Anyway, um, in Mandalorian, we even saw the giant sandworms like the ones from Dune. Uh, just want to say Do that. you want to watch it now, Ma? Have we, have we convinced you? Not at all. <laughs> Not uh, in the slightest. <laughs> but anyway, that brings... I, I can feel the excitement. But I like these grand lessons that the Star Wars entertainment industry gives, you know, like all of a sudden, hey, Tusken Raiders aren't so bad. They are, you know, they may remind you of Native Americans whose land was stolen uh, or people from North of Africa who or whatever, you know, it's it's almost a critique on colonialism. Um, so it's it's that's very rewarding because it helps you when you're watching it with your children to, oh, you know, well, this happens in the real world and blah, 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 and reference this when you're in your history class or whatever, you know, it's you got to be now, uh, over the Christmas holidays, thanks to the recommendation of Roman Roman before he had his sexy Mexican moustache. Uh, <laughs> I liked him a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> he was, you know, he is an example of, he is a millennial who said, who grew up watching uh, the prequel trilogy and, and, and appreciating it in its entirety. Whereas Ben and I's generation, we did, I, I remember being a little bit, unsatisfied with the prequels because I found it childish at the time and infantile and and the aesthetics even I, w I wasn't on board on the aesthetics because they weren't the visuals weren't as cool as the handmade models in the original trilogy right all this CGI and stuff it looked too like vi Yoda looked like a video game character I don't know I, at the time I didn't enjoy it and I always thought wouldn't it be cool after seeing Star Trek what he did with Star Trek wouldn't it be cool if J.J. Abrams was invited to do something with Star Wars and lo and behold he did it and all of a sudden it's like maybe everything wish I I I cast out there becomes true anyway um so i rewatched the prequels 
And I thought they were brilliant. Oh, my God. I thought they were... First of all, there's so many... Like, you start to pay attention to frame by frame. It's like, there are loads of Jedi battles, like lightsaber fights, which is a cool thing. That can't be a bad thing. And then I watched the documentary of how they made Phantom Menace and seeing... George Lucas, who we always think that is super powerful, he made so much, he just keeps making so much money from the original trilogy, he has no woes, but you see him nervous. You see him nervous because you see the genius at work creating an entirely new canon, an entirely new universe, all these different planets and stuff, and so especially coordinating the most talented film crew ever like the 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 special effects people from Lucasfilm, uh the THX studio, all these people, but especially I looked at a very maligned character with different eyes. Oh, my God. He's going there. He's actually going there. Jar Jar Binks. Now, Mark, (laughs) have you heard of... Are you aware of... (laughs) I know him because of The Simpsons. I don't know why. I think he's in a Simpsons (gasps) episode or something. I I think I know a lot of things because of The Simpsons. When George Lucas was making this prequel, he, he obviously understood the power of uh, making sure that this is a, an, a family movie and that the kids get a laugh out of it. Now, when he did this with Return of the Jedi and he introduced the Ewoks at the time, 1985 or whatever, I imagine the adult audiences hated the Ewoks, but I loved the Ewoks because I, I was a child. I was, what, eight or I don't know what. But uh, so I, you know, I, I wasn't like super like, oh, I want to be an Ewok or I want to play with Ewoks. I remember some friends of mine, oh, the Ewoks. But uh, I had no, you know, I accepted the Ewoks. It's like, cool, this this race of little huggy bears, you know, helping out in the forest. I didn't find it uh, patronizing or childish. Uh, I think, I thought they were cool. Um, so Jar Jar Binks was the gonna be the character apart from Anakin Skywalker, right? Which this whole new trilogy was going to be about this boy, how he becomes a teenager and how he starts uh, being seduced by the dark side. That was what the trilogy, the prequel trilogy was going to be about. You follow? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Lucas is like, okay, but you know, let's think of the toys. Let's <laughs> think of the, 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 the child relief. So he comes up with Jar Jar Binks. And in his own words, he told the actor who he found, uh, he found an actor, Ahmed Best, who was a cast member on the musical Stomp, if uh, if uh, if I'm not mistaken. And he's like, wow, this guy's really good uh, physically. He's like very acrobatic and he's got rhythm and stuff. He's like, let's 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 bring this guy in. So he brings him in. And this is a wonderful task of creating a character that was going to be uh, CGI'd, right? Digitally stuff. But he needed a physical actor to, first of all, be on set so that the other actors could play off. And also, you know, uh, guide the CGI artists to be able to animate this character on a physical body that was shot in real life. Uh, so, cool. And then this guy, Ahmed Best, he also came up with this voice. Now, I could tell... Now, re-watching it and knowing what I know, is like, this is what actors of a certain way, you know, they love, they love, we, you know, making, creating voices, you know, all of a sudden you have a voice, where you, whatever. And I can imagine, like, this must have been a voice that he must have had for a long time, like, Misa, Yusa, whatever, you know, it's like, oh, this voice that just, just comes out. And all of a sudden, George Lucas is like, you know what, I like this voice. I can imagine, you know, they're like, oh, okay, you know, all of a sudden... Ahmed Best is now 46 years old, so he must have grown up with the Star Wars trilogy like I did or Ben did. So it's like all of a sudden you get picked to play a character that George Lucas, the 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 the, the genius creator of Star Wars, is telling you, you are going to be the most important character in this trilogy apart from Anakin Skywalker. Like he's giving you this reassurance, right? He's like patting you on the back. You're you're you know he's wearing this incredibly thick latex. Um, um, uh, uh, costume in these sweltering heat in the Tunisian desert and uh, you know you're probably having moments where you're about to faint and stuff and George Lucas comes like don't worry man you're going to be the most important character like reassuring you right and if you see the photo of Ahmed Best going in his own you know as himself to the premiere in London the smile on his face the smile is so like ear to ear like this is an actor who enjoys his craft and he's done this character which he must have been super proud especially if he's, they let him see what it, what he looked like uh, when they managed to animate you know everything it's like wow this is 
this is amazing. This isn't just me. This is like a whole team of people who've been working with me to create this character that the kids are going to love because George Lucas, he's a genius. No one uh, argues with George Lucas, right? No one has seen anything yet. Okay, this is 1997. And imagine everyone's like super hyped, you know, after putting all this two years of work into this, this, this thing that had to be shot in real landscapes and then animated digitally and all these spaceships, all this universe, you know, the, the, the pure, raw, unbridled creation. And I saw that photo. You can see it on Google. That photo of that guy smiling at the, on the carpet and, that, and I could, oh, I'm about to cry. That, that, <laughs> that feeling of accomplishment, of, of wow, I'm, I'm a part of the Star Wars universe, something I've grown up with, something that's important to me, that's been, you know, in all my times or whatever. And, all, and, I, and I've added something original to this thanks to the guidance of the master, George Lucas. Two hours later, everything changed. <laughs> everything changed. He was probably happy. People might have been laughing from the excitement in the cinema, right? Like, ah, oh, okay, Jar Jar Binks. But after that, once, and internet wasn't what it was in 97 as it Thank is today. Thank God. Thank God. Thank but God. still, still, it has still lasted until today. And that is why I'm here to speak on behalf of Jar Jar Binks and the work done by Ahmed Best. The hatred, the vicious vilipending, the, the attacks that Ahmed Best and the character he so lovingly created, Jar Jar Binks, has received from the, from the majority of the Star Wars core fan base. And we're talking... Half the planet is a Star Wars is a Star Wars fan, right? Uh, th so this guy was receiving death threats on the street. Not everyone knew what he looked like because he, you know, his face was animated. But a lot of, you know, a lot of Star Wars nerds they found the photo of who is this Ahmed Best who plays Jar Jar Binks. So people would walk up to him on the street saying, "You ruined my childhood. <laughs> you destroyed my memory. You know, you you you've made everything bad. You suck. You were the worst thing." And, and Everyone, even people who aren't much of a Star Wars fan, they're like, ah, oh, that Jar Jar Binks, that's so irritating. Ben, what's your, you know, just ask Ben, what do you think of Jar Jar Binks? Okay, well, I was just oh, forget really... about everything that I've just said. No, no, but I, ca I can't forget what you just said because <laughs> I just looked up Armor Best, right? And he looks like a lovely dude. Um, and um, he apparently was driven to so thoughts to commit, of suicide. He was walking the Brooklyn Bridge, thinking, or one of the bridges in New York, considering jumping off it. He was suicidal. He was depressed. His his career, he says, was ruined because his self esteem was completely demolished. Because this is the thing. He put so much into that performance. And I have so much respect for suit performers, right? The actors like Andy Serkis, who plays Gollum, King Kong and stuff. You know, Andy Serkis is royalty, right? And I, and I said, you know, for every Gollum, there is a Jar Jar Binks. You know, there's like sometimes people totally accept it, like the, the silly voice or whatever. The, uh, my precious. How many, you know, people love the my precious. But Misa, Yusa, oh, people get cringe, right? It's like, look, bad luck. But... <laughs> but I was like, I, I swear, I was, I was, I had COVID, I had Omicron, I was shut inside my bedroom in my little room, you know, like locked in, um, and and I was like obsessed reading about Ahmed Best and seeing like his Instagram and reading about, and it was like, oh, it was so unfair. But then at the same, so he dealt with all this, but fortunately he moved on. He 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 yeah he moved on. He had a beautiful kid. So he's a father now. And he said that, you know, having a kid helped him through the depression and through the darkness. And justice seems to have been made on a smaller scale because Disney have given him the role as Ahmed Best, uh, you know, playing a playing a, a Jedi, a Jedi Keller master. Beck. Yes, not in a movie. It's a TV show contest with children where they have to uh, they have to be Padawans, which is the name given to young Jedi apprentices. They're milking the F out of this this thing, the oh. Star Wars. There's, I didn't know there were so many things. Like, they have to run out eventually. Will they cut? <laughs> <laughs> no way. No way. <laughs> because we are willing to watch a, 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 a spin-off with the with the Tuscan Raiders. Well, they don't really speak. It would be a complicated thing. No, no, thing. but if they did another, another spin-off with them around yes, them, I'd be there. We'd watch it because anything where we can keep seeing the spaceships and the the, 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 the worlds, the, the, that, that aesthetic, you know, and, and the characters and the music. But, uh, but yeah, so shout out to Ahmed Best. He is now a Jedi Master. Uh, what was his name? 
Jedi's oh, Keller and Beck. Keller and Beck. And it's a cool, it looks like a cool little contest. It's one of those TV shows, you know. But, you know, he gets to work with children. Children get to look at him with admiration because he's wearing the Jedi robes, you know, like Obi-Wan Kenobi. And, and, and he does it really well. I saw a few clips of it. And it's like, look, for a working actor, it might not be, you know, you're not getting called up to be in the next super trilogy or whatever, but you're still part of the Star Wars universe. And especially you're working with kids who look at you like a Jedi master, which, you know, going home every night and, and kids like wanting to take pictures with you because they, they think you're the most awesome thing. You know, I feel like, oh, you know, uh, Justin has been settled. And people like Rob or millennials who grew up as children with Jar Jar Binks do like the character much more than we did. Yeah, I can see. Yeah. So it's like uh, time ends up, you know, the circle of life, time ends up, um, you know, what was once unjust, you know, uh, yeah, time puts things in its place and justice seems to be served. Phew. <laughs> My good Lord. Jar Jar Binks <laughs> is, uh, is, is uh, reformed. Uh, should, we, uh, <laughs> uh, should we have listened to a song that came out that I really liked um, yeah. during, um, during this uh, festive period? Radiohead kind of people. It's it's almost like Radiohead too, isn't it? It's Johnny Greenwood. It's got uh, uh, it's got uh, Tom York and, and another drummer and and uh, and what's his name from Son of, Sons of Kemet, Tom Skinner, Tom Skinner. I think uh, so. Pass. Don't remember. All right, and Nigel Godrick on the controls. So it's practically it's a, it's a Radiohead too. Imagine if you were the actual Radiohead drummer though. Phil Selway is a man of a lot of patience. Ever since, you know, he put up with Kid A, you know, Tom York coming in with drum machines and loops and 808s, and it's like, mate, you can go on a holiday. And it's like, no, I just got to learn how to play faster and, and, and beat the machine. And they managed to work, a, work that way out. But what, a, what, a pa what patience. I always think, how shitty for Ed O'Brien, for the other Greenwood, Colin Greenwood, and for Phil Selway, Yes. Whenever, you know, whenever Johnny and Tom go off and do the, their, their side projects, and especially when they do things together, when they don't, or even when they do Radiohead stuff, but it's just them two. I don't know what kind of discussion happens there. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to L.A. to play at the Grammys with this um, orchestra of children drummers. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's like you, we know where the power in Radiohead lies, don't we? I mean, I suspect <laughs> I know where the power in <laughs> Yeah, but that and you know what must be irksome for uh, Ed O'Brien because he's kind of the rocker in Radiohead. Uh, apparently, he's like the one who brings the classic rock into the into the fold. And all of a sudden, the smile, which is this new project, is rockier than ever without Ed O'Brien. I once read, I think I've talked about this before, a biography of Ringo Starr. And it was, <laughs> I love Ringo Starr, and it was utterly brilliant because it basically told the whole story of the Beatles and everything through Ringo Starr's perspective. And there was this moment when the Beatles had split. And, you know, I was like, oh, God, what's, Ring, what's Ringo going to do? And everyone was waiting. On, and then there was a moment, a brief moment, when Ringo was the biggest chart star from the Beatles. And this book is just like, it's like celebrating. It's been waiting this moment for the past 500 pages. It's like, and then Ringo was the biggest star. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm not quite sure where, why, why I mentioned that. But, yeah. Boomer always trying to talk about the Beatles. Or <laughs> Did you see that the, the people who most watched the, the Beatles, um, the, the Let get It back, Be, get back, yeah. get back, sorry, get back? Yeah, no, Let It Be. No, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, get back. The, yeah, the, 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 uh, were people over 50. <laughs> that was the core audience. Those were the, the biggest uh, viewers, I uh, age group. I spent a lot of my Christmas holidays trying to explain to my parents what Disney Plus was and how you could get it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's listen to The Smile. You will never work in television again, said... I've heard that a little bit. No, but they didn't say that to the bloke who played Jar Jar Binks. Oh, God, I've just thought that's a horrible reference. No, we're saying you have worked in television again <laughs> and you will so again because we like him. Exactly.
think it's the first time I I come out of a when we do these split sections and I introduce myself because now that I listen to your ranting about something I don't know at all now <laughs> you're going to have to stop for me rant about something you probably don't care about but uh, we do I'm, care no we do we do care I reckon we care about this a lot more than you care about Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> no I I I might have a try at Star Wars sometime. That's a lie. Okay. <laughs> um, but I I have new energy for this 2022. 2022? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I read uh, a news headline. I didn't even click on, on the article itself. Who <laughs> needs to click on the headline? <laughs> for God's sake. That? What are we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that said, and it confirms it but by my actions, that celebrity-obsessed people are less intelligent um, new oh. study claims, and I didn't even click on that oh because I, I know I'm not. I like I, I know I know it's true. Like I can, as a person, as a celebrity obsessed person, I can say, yeah, you're so right. But at the same time, that gives me like a sense of freedom, like a free pass to not feel bad about whatever is occupying my brain and and something that I said being stupid because now I have an explanation. It's like, no, I'm just celebrity obsessed people. Like uh, we are less intelligent. Don't judge me. Like I, I can say whatever I can come here and, and have the liberty of, of ranting about whatever is occupying my brain, regardless of it being like a hazard to society, because after all, I'm less intelligent. So who cares? Not me. And, and that's, that's the energy I'm coming with um, to 2022. I, I, whenever I read these kind of titles, I always feel a pinch of, damn it. You know, it's like, it's like oh, it's confirming something I always knew. You know, <laughs> I'm obsessed with celebrities. You know, as I said, I was locked in for three days tweeting about, uh, tweeting, storying about Ahmed Best. You know, some celebrity <laughs> guy who, you know, just had a bit of bad luck. He's still, anyway, sorry. So, yeah, Amar, I know exactly how you feel. Freer. These are Hungarian academics. Forget them. No, but now I'm... Hungarian I, I, academics, are they the, the most... Is they, are we racist now <laughs> against angry people? Like no, 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 sorry. I just, the I Hungarians. Just, I just actually clicked uh, on the... Um, on. I thought, you know, I'm actually going to click on this headline about celebrity obsession. <laughs> I'm going to prove that by more yeah, intelligent. Yeah, and it's a Hungarian study. And I I have nothing against Hungarians. The only Hungarian I know is a very nice and very intelligent person. So they're and right. And I've Hungary and it rocks. It's a lovely place. So <laughs> nothing is... is the, yeah, it's although... A, you know, some, sorry, Marta, someone showed me a chart of the, the most popular gifts on, from European countries. Most of the countries, the most demanded gifts by children were uh, video game consoles. But you know what the, fav- the most popular gift in, for, Belgian chul- uh, for children is in Belgium? Scrabble. So there you have. Belgians are very intelligent. I love children. this fun fact. That like, n- if there were Belgian um, scientists or whatever, we would trust them, but not not anywhere else yeah, from you, the world. You like, never really hear much of Belgian, you know, like perfect. You know, it's like I think they've got it so locked down and indoors. You know, like they, you know, they just do their own thing and they like they must live really well. Have to and be stuff. ready for no, the it's Belgian. You don't hear it because they publish in Flemish. And do you speak Flemish? I don't. No, well, some of them do anyway. But exactly, they don't need the rest of the world. They're like on their own. anyway. So right. I, I, no, I just want to say one thing, if I may. Any child, or almost any child who claims they want Scrabble more than they want video game, is lying out of yeah. their teeth. They're like, oh, I think... Been- yeah, it's a good ability to have to know how to lie, so they're winning either way. <laughs> either way, yeah. <laughs> well, what have I been occupied with um, these last few weeks? Obviously, we know the answer. It's always the same. The Kardashians. Because I'm always thinking about the Kardashians. But um, I, I cannot come here every week and talk about the Kardashians <laughs> if people don't care at all. But I have this like bar test to to think if I can if it's relevant or not to come here and rant about them. And it's thinking if Ben would care about what I was going Me? to explain. Yeah, because I know you, Johan. You would you you understand <laughs> my obsession. But you Ben, there's a point you just don't care. And I, and I do care. No, I but d- it's the bar. Okay, like if okay. I come here and try to explain you why I think Kylie has already had the second baby, you are not going to care. But if I come here and I explain you what I'm going to explain today, I think um, you will care. So the story today passes the Ben test. All right, okay. okay. <laughs> I think you you will have to confirm by the end of it. But we're <laughs> we're going to talk about the the event of the the decade, the the, yes. the everything, yes. which is. 
Kimi's di divorce. And I'm going to explain why it's important and relevant and, and Ben is going to care about it now. But before that, we have to recap of what they have been up to and what these actions mean, all of it together. Yeah. So uh, it didn't begin with um, the Donda thing, Kanye did at the, those stadium stuff, but yeah. we can just make it the start point there. Like we have to remember that crazy ongoing performance, elegance, extravaganza he did in which Kim attended all the acts. The listening or, parties. Yeah, listening parties, but it, it kind of was a mesh of all of different things. It was not only him singing, it was like a full-on performance and Kim attended twinning with Kanye with Head to Toe Balenciaga and even at some point she went to the stage and wore a couture Balenciaga wedding gown and fake married Kanye that happened. Oh my god, yeah. I didn't realize that. They, yeah. they did a fake wedding ceremony? Yeah, and it was Kim and, and everyone was like, there like, yeah. When they're supposedly getting divorced, divorced, which she hasn't signed yet. Yeah. She hasn't signed the papers. Yeah, exactly. And then Kim went to the Met Gala dressed um, in all black Balenciaga and piece iconic that we all know and we all talked about with a fake Kanye also wearing Balenciaga. Um, iconic. Wasn't um, the fake Kanye actually Demna Gabziliev? Exactly. The, it was the, Demna. The, the creative director for Balenciaga? Yeah, there's there's a theme going on. And then a few days later, Kim hosted SNL that we also talked about uh, in a previous episode because I, I squeeze <laughs> them in whenever I can. Um, also wearing Balenciaga. Uh, and because ever since the, not the Met Gala, but Donda and everything, um, she has been wearing exclusively Balenciaga, which it, everything is telling. Everything has a reason. They do not do things coincidentally. Mm. And then what happened at SNL? She met, well, quote unquote, met white boy of the month, Pete Davidson, mm -hmm. who she is now. Well, they didn't meet then because there's pictures of Kanye, Pete Davidson, Timothy Chalamet and, and Kid, Kid Cudi, Cudi having, having dinner. dinner. And who took the picture, Kim? So they were, Ah, she took the picture. Yeah, they were already kind oh. of friends or but it's supposed to be that SNL brought them closer and now they're supposedly dating we don't care because they had a sketch where they actually kissed yeah exactly I think it's when they're playing the Aladdin on the car magic carpet yeah yeah and and that was like oh that's so weird Kim really doesn't do that stuff kissing other people on on screen for whatever so mm. that's a, a major <laughs> but thing. she does other things on video camera <laughs> oh yeah. yo oh, sorry, I had to yo bring it. hey it's what brought her her millions <laughs> and her fortune sex tape always a good choice anyway <laughs> career move and then um they they are kind of dating or or yes hanging out a lot is it way. confirmed because you said a few weeks ago that it was a publicity stunt because she was gonna do, redo kardashians or there was yeah, gonna be a new yeah, yeah it's gonna be in the new show of course i, I i'm so so sure it's gonna be a plotline in the new kardashians show streaming on hulu i think next week or soon um but yeah that's gonna be a plotline so they have all this thing going on and what is kanye doing flash forward to new year's eve mm. um a few weeks ago, he's hanging out with Julia Fox. He's dating again! <laughs> Who? Exactly. But actually, she's not a random. She's perfectly casted, and I didn't say casted because I, I don't know words in English. I thought about this word. She is casted perfectly in all this whatever is going on. Mm -hmm. Because she's like, uh, we don't really know about her because we're no ones. But people who are cool and live in New York know a lot about her. She's a neat girl and most magazines have been referring to her as the Uncut Gems actress but she's much more than that and she's perfectly casted much more than for being an actress for being an artist. She has uh, like this performance art weird uh, contemporary artist. Mm -hmm. She used to be a dominatrix and yeah. now she has like two very explicit um, photo books um, that are very explicit sexually but also touch on trauma and abuse and have like screenshots of ex-boyfriends um, abusing her psychologically but also like there's a lot of images that are very like raw and yeah. I don't know how to explain she touches a lot of on on this kind of stuff and and she also had a, an art show in 2019 called 
R.I.P. Julia Fox, in which she had a lot of like canvases or I, I don't know, um, textiles with mm-hmm. painted with her own blood that she extracted with a, a syringe or something. Okay. So she's like this kind of weird artist. She doesn't really care. She's kind of rebellious. And and if you want to know more about her, apparently she has a podcast um, called um, with a friend of hers called Forbidden Fruit. And in the latest episode that's published, that was before New Year's Eve, she talks about how she's so Kardashian obsessed, and she talks about like how she loves she has been a diehard fan of the show, and she was so sad about it ending, and that's manifesting. Hang on. Was that when she was already dating? No, no, no. She hadn't met Kanye yet, or, or at least New Year's didn't happen yet, which is when they got together. I don't know if they knew each other a little bit. I don't know. But she talks about like, yeah, um, can we talk about how Kim and Pete are dating? Oh, my God, that's so crazy. And then a few years later, she was dating Kanye. That's yeah. crazy. That's yeah, I love that. I didn't her. know that she was that. Uh, I, I knew she was a bit of a performance artist mm-hmm. and a dominatrix and stuff, but I didn't know she was that thorough. I remember thinking when I saw that photo, the first photos, the paparazzi photos of her walking out of a restaurant with Kanye. It's like, what is a first date with Kanye like like is it just him talking about himself but now I think that they might have a little common ground (laughs) very good question what it's like a a first date um, with Kanye a lot of people might wonder that but now what has happened after this 48 hour long date they had um, since New Year's 48 hour date I think so I think so or, or longer even Julia, Julie, Miss Julia Fox, wrote an entire piece for um, Interview Magazine um, explaining the date with Kanye and what it was like, like a, a, like a diary entry for Interview Magazine, um, in which she explains they went to, to a restaurant and Kanye did like an impromptu photo shoot with her there. Yeah, and that was a little bro- bit weird. There's like sh- a shoot of them actually like snogging in the hallways yeah, of the, yeah. I don't know if it's an addition hotel or something. Yeah, then he brought her to a hotel in which he had like a closet full of of very expensive clothing and he dressed her like he did with Kim at the beginning so she's like Kim 2.0 and all these photos were published in the article published in uh, in the interview magazine also um all the paparazzi shots of them um and the interview uh, magazine article and and all of this Julia is wearing Balenciaga Mm. And also, uh, yeah, I know where yeah, you're going yeah, with yeah. this. Um, also, fun fact: now this has nothing to do with my final conclusion. But a few years back, Paper Magazine did like a spread with Pete Davidson mm-hmm. and Julia went <gasps> there with him. Like they were, um, the whole shoot was like um, uh, Barbie and Ken, oh. and Pete was Ken and Julia was Barbie. What? And now they're both dating Kim and Kanye. It's, ah! it's like how, Which are the modern Barbie paper, and Ken? Yeah, how did Paper Magazine know these two random people would end up dating the biggest couple there was then? It's just, I, I have conspiracy theories coming out of this, but I'm not sure which ones yet. Can, can, can I make a brief pause? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I decided to have a quick look at this date night picture, uh, date night piece, and it's written like a seven-year-old, what I did on my holidays. It's yeah! like, I met you in Miami on New Year's Eve, and it was an instant connection. It's just like... <laughs> Oh my god, I was impressed. After the play, we chose to go to dinner at the restaurant. Yee directed an entire photo shoot for me while people dined. Way! The whole restaurant loved it and cheered us on while it was happening. Yay! It's, it's, oh, it's awful! It's amazing! It's awful! It's amazing! I, I just love it that it. After dinner, you, you would... had a surprise for me. Way! <laughs> it's just like a little girl's diary entry, and you get to read it. And, and she made it public for you, and she put on the spicy photos they took at the hotel room. But. What? Then is... I woke up and it was all a dream. <laughs> <laughs> it could be like by she... Julia Fox, age seven and a half. <laughs> what she... magazine was that for? Interview magazine. Oh, interview. Okay. And well, what is the conclusion and what makes it these all of these interesting to you, Ben, and anyone that's not really interested in the Kardashians and and the gossip because it is interesting by itself. Like there's a lot of gossip going on, but there's something that we could intellectualize or that we can take out of all of this that is happening if it's not painfully obvious yet. 
But it, this divorce thing happening, it's it's a public performance. It has been ever since um, it first started. It It's not something that started with Donda. Once you entered the stadium, yeah. a performance began. And once you left the stadium, the performance had ended. No, it's an ongoing performance that has been going on for months. And one of the coolest parts of, of all of this, that of it being a, a movie in yeah. real life, it's that as a movie, it needs uh, a costume designer. And who <sighs> is the costume designer of this show called Kimmy's Divorce? It's Balenciaga. Yeah. And and it's so crazy that a, a house is like costuming a divorce. Like <laughs> it, it's like there's many iconic movies that the one of the parts of it, like the the interesting part of it, is the costume design is done by some major de- designer, like the that movie, The Fifth Element, that was. And designed with um, Jean-Paul Gaultier and, and the, they had the craziest, most amazing pieces or or Chanel did Spencer's um, Christian Stewart la- latest movie um, about Lady D, Lady Di. Yeah. Um, it's done by Chanel and, and it's a, a big part of it. Or Audrey Hepburn's movies, we all know what were very related to Givenchy. And and now it's 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 like the same. It's not a new tradition doing that. But what is groundbreaking is doing that, but in reality, like in a deep fake reality. Like they're just telling a story, a story we have heard mil- millions of times, like falling out of love, heartbreak, having a new fling, having a honeymoon phase. But the format, it's not a movie, it's not a TV, it's not a show. It's it's something completely um, fascinating and new. It's a new format of, of telling a story. And and uh, uh, the, my favorite person on the internet, who is a girl that calls herself Kardashian Colloquium, and she really <laughs> goes into everything that Kardashians do, she said, they're using a mosaic of media stories being told through musical concerts, Instagram posts, sound beats from radio interviews yeah. and podcasts, yeah. post-paparazzi shots, curated press releases framed as confessionals, like the interview thing. <sighs> and to replace every, if you take all these mosaic pieces that they give us and we create a, a storyline and this is replacing what the, the good old fashioned movies and, and TV and it's like the same format, it's the same, it's telling a story, but they're using like reality to do so and, and they need a, a costume designer and they used Balenciaga and Balenciaga and Everything that confirms this theory is um, the post that Kanye dropped like a few days on yeah. Instagram that says Five that Yeezy ba- um, by Gap will be engineered by Balenciaga, Damn. aka Demna. So all of this, uh, all everything that's been happening, and we have been like, oh, this happened, oh, this happened. It's just a bigger picture, mega crazy fashion campaign. The most um, how Layered. like engaging fashion campaign yeah. you can do like fashion campaigns have become more complex and have like more layers and and advertising is is crazier and crazier but this is the craziest campaign I have ever seen and and it makes so much sense and it makes sense that Kanye is doing it makes sense that Kim is on it because after all they're business partners and the most intelligent yeah. at it so okay right right okay. That's <laughs> definitely past it, but I've got a question that may be a very sort of, you know, 20th century question in the 21st century. But what is real then? What's the real? The sales of Gap. That exactly. is what's well, real. What's going to be and real? And we don't really care what... Gap items. <laughs> uh, like... I- I'm not sure if Pete and Kim are actually dating. I'm not sure if Julie and Kanye are actually dating. I'm not even sure they know. But who like the concept of reality they don't really care about yeah. it they're like because then Kanye went and bought a house right in front of Kim's yeah. obviously to be close to the children you know uh, so it's like uh, well, yeah and he probably might go on on a radio show uh, a few days from now and say he wants Kim back like he's just adding layers to the well, story but he was it, saying it before, doesn't matter up until Christmas when he was on that drinks champ um, show hosted by Noriega uh, Nori uh, not his daughter Nori Nori uh, the rapper uh, he was saying that he, he still wants Kim back that the divorce isn't uh, she hasn't signed it yet so officially they're kind of still married blah 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 which I thought yeah but this is a little bit of a shady message for all those um, male uh, partners who won't let their female partners out of a relationship you know those abusive mm-hmm. versions you know they're like ah you're not divorced until i say so that kind of thing but um uh the the end the end the 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 bottom line is the sales of exactly. gap items they've already promised that there will be at least two 
Balenciaga capsule collections for The Gap. I love that Kanye has this compromise with making fashion accessible. Obviously, most people can and afford to buy in The Gap. Not so many people can afford to buy in The partners they casted are also like accessible partners, like a funny guy from Staten Island. It's like um, I'm high class dating a low class person. He's and the I'm, coolest it boy apart from Timothy Chalamet. Exactly, you know. but it's more relatable to you than Kim is. And Kanye is also dating like a not low class girl, but just like a cool girl from like on the street like that you could... That you could become. Yeah, they both casted as partners lower like like more relatable people so the, like the high end Balenciaga is meeting Gap and like maybe Kim is, is Kim's uh, collabing with Fendi and stuff like this it's like high end meets low end and and they casted people to represent that in their life like which is like how insane is that how planned out and and For crazy anyone who studies marketing should I mean this really you know you've this what you've just talked about is a great um, piece if you have to what do you call it a final report if you're doing a study on marketing and stuff and how to how to introduce product you know it's all about how do you advertise how do you make campaigns how do you keep reminding people to buy your product people are addicted to anything related to kardashian in the tabloids or kanye so it's like this is just the constant way of having beat boom 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 and he's you see him shopping at the balenciaga store kanye shopping for himself hey i'm a single guy now i'm divorced i'm what do i do i go to balenciaga with my horrible ass gumboot thing <laughs> look thing that he keeps insisting on but but you just watch how in at least two or three years, that silhouette is going to be accepted in a, in a more general way. People wearing these big, clunky kind of gumboots. I can't see it, but I, I can see it happening with these kids who really are obsessed with being fashionable or whatever. Anyway, sorry. Ben, we're only, we're, we're only have five minutes to talk about the album of the week. What are we? Well, well. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. Mark, sorry, are you done? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, done? <laughs> case made. I think Ben approves. I totally approve. <laughs> and all the more so because it very much, this kind of like weird storytelling, what's real, what's not, is very much um, the kind of theme of Dawn FM by The Weeknd, which yeah. is an album which uh, I believe Johan found a little bit boring, but I found absolutely fascinating because there's loads and loads and loads of stuff to talk about it, basically. So you got, it. it's not just an album. Okay, there's a narrative to the album, right? Mm -hmm. And this narrative relates to previous albums, like particularly After Hours, okay? So the deal with um, Dawn FM, right, The weekend said, picture the album being like the listener is dead and they're stuck in this purgatory state, which I always imagine would be like being stuck in traffic, waiting to reach the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. And while you're stuck in traffic, they've got a radio station playing in the car with the radio host guiding you to the light and helping you transition to the other side. So it could feel celebratory, it could feel bleak, however you want uh, to make it feel, but that's what the dawn is for me. So we have this whole theme of death and purgatory and rebirth. So whatever The weekend is singing, is it him singing it? Is the character singing it? How does it, how does it relate? Also, we've got this new weekend character. Have you seen like the, the cover of the record? Yeah, he's like an old version of himself, no? Right. And in the video for, um, I think it's gasoline. Gasoline? Yeah. Might be gasoline, yes. The weekend is fighting with this new person in the video. So what are we talking about? Are we talking about the passing of time? Are we talking about the ravages of age? Are we talking about trying to, to stop ourselves from, from aging? What, what makes sense? Also... Gasoline, the self-same song. Notice, uh, Johan, in your notes, you talk about this weird voice he's doing. But he's this English accent. Yes, but he's inhabiting a new character. That's the thing. It's like a new character for him, oh. you see, because he reverts the old weekend um, by by the end of this. Right? Yeah, but what, what what where is this British link? Like, what is it? Because it's got a that kind of eighties synth pop sound, exactly. and people it's think like of it as being new a British kind of sound, a little bit, you know, like a little bit Depeche Mode, a little bit that 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 kind of thing. It's never a good career move for North Americans to adopt a British accent <laughs> from punk pop Californian band singing in full Cockney to um, the weekend trying to pretend he's from an industrial town outside of Birmingham in the eighties. It's not authentic. But no, okay. no, no, no. But is it Abdel Tesfaye pretending to be British or is it The Weeknd pretending to be British? Okay. Can you separate the character from, from the real person? I get it. Okay, I'm buying it. So you have this album that works as like, not just, it works as an album, right? Yes. On one level. Mm -hmm. And it also works as part of his whole career, basically. Because um, After Hours, the, the album before that, basically had this this whole um, narrative about him di like overdosing and, and possibly dying that kind of thing so you can see it in comparison to that but also because like Dawn FM is such a great album you can just pick a song out of it you can just pick Take My Breath out of it and it works by itself totally brilliant because it's an absolute banger right Yeah. so what you've got is you've got this album that is in a way totally derivative 
like it sounds like Daft Punk, it sounds like Michael Jackson, it sounds like Alan Brakes, mm-hmm. okay, but it's totally original at the same time. In fact, the whole radio idea, the whole idea of the album as a radio show is a copy of One of Tricks Point Never, ninth studio album, Magic One of Tricks Point Never. So he's kind of cop- copied this, he's taken this idea from the underground, he's making it into one this absolutely massive, massive pop album. And also, and I'm taking this, this theory from someone else, the role of memory is important as well. We've got Quincy Jones on a tale of Quincy talking yeah. about memory. So it's... And he says at the back, looking back is a bitch, isn't it? So what you have is you have an album where reality and role-playing and memory and the avant-garde and pop all collide. That's why I love it. And is that not suitable for what we've just heard about uh, Kim and Kanye? Yes, it ties in. <laughs> Plus, one of the songs is about his relationship with Angelina Jolie. So is he... Well... Uh, or Allegedly. Allegedly. According allegedly. to... Gossip rags. Uh, I just think that this, this whole thing of mil- milking the 80s vaporwave synth pop, I, I don't know. It, it's not due a comeback because it never really went away. It's just a sound that keeps fizzling away in the background, a bit like lo-fi hip-hop beats as generic background music. Muzak. But anyway, I'll, I'm going to listen to it a bit more with all these notes that you have given us. And... That. Totally. You sold it for me. I thought it was boring and now I'm like, yes, it's a story. Oh, I love it. Well, and we got to go. It's 12 o'clock. Time for heavy Victor Trapero with Heavy Rotation. Thank you for listening. What a fun show. Next week, we shall talk about himbos, hopefully, and <laughs> impeachment, among other things. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I'm dozing off to REM. I'm trying not to lose my faith. Now I love it when you watch me sleep.